The Blazers road trip rolls on, and so does the Section 113 podcast. The Trailblazers taking on the Indiana Pacers on Friday night as they'll wrap up the season series after taking the first game between the two teams about a month ago on December 4th, and they won that game rather handily. The Blazers coming off a disappointing game against the Minnesota Timberwolves, a game that, you know, really they they were tight and back and forth for most of the second half, and, you know, late in that fourth quarter, they just didn't have enough. Missed some shots. Anthony Edwards took over. Foul trouble, foul trouble got in the way. Yusuf Nurkic fouled out. Uh, Drew Eubanks fouled out. Anthony Simons had five personal fouls. There were there were a lot of things down the stretch of that game that did not go the Trailblazers' way. So the Blazers now two and one against Minnesota this year, and a game over five hundred overall in the season. But the road trip continues on. And before I bring on my next guest, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Mark Boyle. And I'm going to ask him about this at some point during the podcast. But Mark has been the Indiana Pacers radio play-by-play announcer for over 30 years. And he is fantastic at what he does. But when I first started in this role, even as a fill-in before I got the job full-time, Mark was one of the guys who really went out of his way to, to make sure that I had everything that I needed, that I was ready to go. Uh, we, we compared notes um, really somebody that, that I look up to and someone that I consider a mentor. And I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to get to know Mark and be able to talk with Mark over the years. This Pacers team is interesting. You know, at the beginning of the year, I think most people thought they were going to tank. but That is far from what they have been doing. This is a team that is right in the playoff hunt. They've got some good veterans. Therese Halliburton is a fantastic young player, some terrific rookies, and they are a tough out. There's a reason why they're four games over 500. There's a reason why they're right there on the cusp of being a top six team in the Eastern Conference. My guest today on the Section 113 podcast is the longtime radio voice of the Indiana Pacers, the one and only Mark Boyle. Mark, good afternoon. I appreciate you taking some time for us today. My pleasure, Travis. How you been? Great, great. Uh, you know, we're finally going to get some home games coming up. You guys came off the, the longest road trip since the 80s for yeah. the Indiana Pacers when you came to us about a month ago. Uh, that, that's obviously a long one for you. So dealing with with that, knowing how long you've been doing this, was it any different given that that was, what, seven games in about 14 days? Uh, it was different, but not really. You know, once you get to a certain point, I think, uh, and in my time until that, the longest one we'd had was five. You know, we're, we're more or less in the middle of the country, and, and so we can make an extra trip. Either way, if we need to, sure. Whereas teams on the on the coasts generally only make two of those long trips every year, and so they tend to be longer. But you know, what's the difference? Five games, eleven days, or you know, <laughs> seven games, thirteen days. There's not a lot of difference. And now everyone's different. If I if I had young children at home and was missing their stuff and so forth, then that might be different. But it's just me, and uh, nobody misses me when I'm gone. So you know, I may as well be on the road. <laughs> You know, this Pacers team is fascinating because before the season started, the outside view was that this team was going to trade off some of the big pieces, right? The Miles Turners and, um, you know, build for the future. And I don't know, tank, people use that word all the time, but build for the future, right? This team has been very good, has beaten some very good teams, is right in the thick of the playoff mix. Have you been surprised at how much, how consistently they've been winning? Yeah, uh, because I didn't know what to expect. You know, we had Halliburton and Heald here last year. They came in a trade. 
uh, around February or so. And then we added Matherin through the draft and picked up some guys via trade. So you never know how they're going to fit together. And I think there was at least, it might just be semantics, but I think there was a, a misconception from the outside that the Pacers were interested in tanking. They knew that they might lose a lot of games as part of this process, but that was never their intent. Uh, they weren't thinking, well, it's a good year to be bad because then we can get to the top of that draft and improve instantaneously. That was never their goal, although they understood conceptually that it might happen. Their goal was to put together a young team. They felt they'd gone as far as they could with the other group that was a bit stagnant uh, and injury-prone. So they decided to go in another direction, and the team gelled, I think, more rapidly than most expected. Uh, They've had their ups and downs. They're still not a good defensive team. They've been really bad in terms of rebounding, but they're doing other things really well. Uh, They lead the league in fast break points. They play at a pace that seems to be beneficial to the talent of the players involved. They've made great use of the three, which has never been a big thing here before. So it's an evolution. They play an exciting brand of ball, uh, and the fans here have really taken to it. You know, with that, I, th- I think when the trade was made, a lot of people, again, from the outside, looked at it and said, what, what is Sacramento doing? Right? Because Therese Halliburton is, is such a terrific young talent. And they they have a ton of guards over there, so I, I can I understand, and it's worked out for them obviously. But what has Terry Saliburton meant to the Pacers? Well, he's obviously a skilled player, and he's become, uh, to use the cliche, the face of the franchise. Even though he's not even been here a full calendar year yet, uh, but beyond his skills, uh, and I, I don't mean this in a pejorative manner, but You'll understand this, and I think on some level, your listeners and viewers and fans will understand this too. Those of us that work in professional sports live in a world of perpetual adolescence. Uh, A lot of these players are really kids, and some of them are literally kids. Uh, And so when you get a 22, a 23-year-old guy in here who's not only your best player, but is also an adult, then that is huge. Plus, he's the guy with the ball in his hands all the time. Uh, and the numbers speak for themselves, but beyond that, one of the real impacts he's had is last year in close games. Now, by close games, there's any number of ways to define that, but the way the league does is with five minutes or less to play, the teams being within five points of one another. Last year, the Pacers were a league worst, 11-34. and 34. Uh, This year, they're 14-10. and 10 which uh, is in the top 10. So dramatic improvement there, in large part because A, Halliburton is orchestrating an attack that gets good shots most times down the floor. And then they've added some guys that are good perimeter defenders, which they didn't have either. And so they're getting stopped. Even though they're not a good defensive team on balance, they are tending to get stops late in games. Uh, Aaron Neesmith, who was in Boston last year, is a good defender. Andrew Nemhart who was a second-round draft choice and is playing very well as a starter, is also a good defender. So uh, they've improved in some areas in which they were weak, but the whole thing revolves around Halliburton because he's got the ball in his hands all the time. He can score. He's right around 20 a game, leads the league in assists per game, uh, and has been really reliable and really consistent. You you mentioned the rookies, and with with Nemhard, I think – the fact that he is starting and playing as well as he has, and he played well against the Trailblazers, and you look at what 
what Matherin has been able to do off the bench, one of the best bench players in the league as a rookie. I know a lot of folks in Portland were looking at him because he was going to fall in that area where the Blazers had the pick. How much of those two rookies impacted this team? Uh, enormously. I, I think you can say even less than halfway into their first season that the Pacers nailed that draft. At six, they got Matherin. Then they get this kid in the second round. Both are uh, contributing. Matherin is an elite sixth man. He'll eventually, I'm sure, at some point be a starter, if not this year, then somewhere down the road. Nemhart has played off the bench and now is starting. Good three-point shooter, uh, smart player, good defender. You know, even earlier in the season, the first few games when the Pacers were playing some close games, uh, Rick Carlisle would not hesitate to put Nemhart on the other team's best player in late-game situations. Mm. So he's trusted him from the beginning. They've been great additions. Uh, and then the other additions, too, uh, Neesmith. It, within the last, um, well, I don't know the number of games, but it's almost half this season. And uh, I, I would say that the Sacramento trade was made with about a third of last season to go. So in that period of time, they've added Heald and Halliburton and Neesmith and Nemhart and Matherin. Uh, and then Brogdon is gone. Sabonis is gone. They've retooled on the run. Uh, now, I don't know how this is going to play out. They still will likely have some rough patches, and maybe they won't make the playoff, but they've taken the right step in terms of a rebuild, and they've done it without suffering enormous loss in terms of the one-loss record. I think they're relatively pleased with what they have, but I think they know that they still need some more players. You know, with the, with the return of Rick Carlisle last year, obviously since he left, he won a championship, was in Dallas for a long time, and it had been, what, 15 years since he was in Indiana, he took the, the Pacers to a conference finals. How is he different as a coach now as his first time around with the Pacers? Well, he's different in some, in some notable ways. He's, he's similar in that he's a very bright guy. He understands the game. And that's been a constant since he's been with us. He was with us here with the Pacers as an assistant coach under Bird back in the 90s. And then after Isaiah Thomas had a short run as the head coach, he had his own run here. Then, as you mentioned, he went to Dallas, and now he's back. But the things that are different are noticeable. He's really, really adaptable. He has embraced the modern NBA. Uh, you know, he was kind of an old-school – he's an old-school guy, but he yeah. was kind of an old-school conservative coach, uh, if you'll remember, in his Dallas days and until the end and, and in his Indiana days and his Detroit days. Uh, he wanted to run things from the sideline, no matter who was the point guard, old-school in that regard. Now he trusts his players. He's embraced the three-point game. Uh, he told me earlier this season that he likes coaching the modern game better than he liked coaching the old game. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny story, and uh, Eddie Gill works with me. You guys will remember Eddie Gill out, out there yes, on the sir. West Coast. Uh, and he played for Rick the first time Rick was here. Then he settled here with his family, and he lives here now, and he's become uh, one of our broadcasters. And uh I, when I told him this story, he couldn't believe it. We hadn't traveled at all during COVID. So when we went out for the preseason, mm -hmm. it was our first time to travel in three years. And my first time to work with Rick since he was here as the head coach before. So we go to Charlotte for a shoot around. And, you know, the guys are getting loose and tossing up some shots. The main event hasn't really started yet. And one of the developmental coaches takes out this giant, uh, well, I don't know what they call them now. In my day, we called them boom boxes. And all of a sudden blaring rap in the gym while the guys are getting loose. The old Carlisle never would have gone for that. <laughs> and uh, when I asked him about it, I said, Rick, what's, what's with the music? That wasn't your, 
Well, it's a different time, he said. You know, he's very bright. He knows he has to adapt. He knows the players are different. And when you get right down to it, what's the difference whether you play music during the shoot around or not? If the players like it, why not? I think that's his philosophy. But I use that as a story to tell you about how he's very adaptable. But he's still old school. He wants his team to defend, and they haven't been consistent there, even uh, during this recent four-game home winning streak, which they were great offensively, averaged about 130 points, shot better than 50%. Uh, and won all of the games, three of them down the stretch that were close. Uh, while acknowledging how well his team was playing, he did say, you know what, we didn't play. It was kind of lost because we played so well offensively, but that wasn't acceptable defense. We've got to get better. Right. So he makes sure his team understands what they need to do to improve, how they need to do it. At the same time, he's encouraging them all the time, embracing the way they're playing, letting them orchestrate as much as possible without him dictating from the sidelines. He, he's really adapted well to the modern player in the modern game. Hmm. You, you talk about adaptability, and you've been at this a long time, and I, I love to look at old box scores, and I, I love to look at old videos, and you and I have talked about this, a series that I remember not as fondly as you do when I was growing up, was that you know, 1995 Knicks-Pacers conference yeah. final. I was looking at sure. box scores a couple of weeks ago. And just how low scoring those games were. Obviously, the game has changed. But in the last 30 years, you can even look at the last five years, the individual performances, especially of late in the last month or two, they've skyrocketed. Highlighted by the 71 from Donovan Mitchell a couple of nights ago. Do you see any particular reason for that, that even though the rules haven't evolved that much in the last two, three years, this year specifically, there seem to be more of those just eye-popping individual performances? Well, I think you might get a better answer from somebody that studies analytics and tendencies more than I do, but my gut feel on it is this. The rules have changed, but that's not really the issue because the rules evolved over years, and they haven't changed that much in the last five years. You know, there's the take foul now and all of that, but that doesn't really affect anything. Uh, Back in the day, the 95 series you referenced, there was hand-checking and physical strong arm play that was allowed that would never be allowed today. But that's not new, at least not brand new. Uh, and so I think there are a couple of things in play. Of course, uh, the the tendency of teams to play at a faster tempo, which results in more possessions, that's one thing. Uh, everyone, or at least almost everybody, embracing the three-point shot, that's another thing. Um, and then I think, and I don't know how you would quantify this or even if it's accurate, but I think the tendency of teams to play small ball is a factor because, you, you know, you're not pounding it into the post anymore. Guys with skills are allowed to embrace their skills and exploit them even more than they ever have. So if you have a guy like Mitchell or a guy like Lillard or any number of guys around the league who have shown their skills in this area, in that, in that game where Mitchell scored 71 points, that's, that's fabulous. It's impressive. But let's say you never looked at anything other than, oh, he got 71 points. He had five points in the first quarter. Hmm. I think he scored 55 points in the second half. How does that happen? Uh, So I I don't know. My theory is that it's a combination of things, small ball being one. uh, You know, post play isn't non-existent anymore, but it's certainly much less relevant than it used to be. And – you know, the only big guy that's really putting up these numbers is Jokic, and, and those aren't spectacular numbers, and he's a passer too. He's a, he's a skilled player. 
Uh, and so we're going to see more of this. I don't know that we're ever going to see, uh, you know, an 80 or 90 point game again, although you never know. Bryant had that 80 point game not all that long ago. Yeah. Um, the game seems to be a little bit more pleasing to the fan. Uh, the players, I think, are being taught differently at younger levels now as the game changes. And I think all of that comes into play. And then you've got things like, and I don't know how this plays in if it does at all, but, you know, a lot of these kids that are coming into the league now have been working with trainers and experts and nutritionists since they were 12 playing AAU ball. Maybe that's part of it too, but probably a combination of things. But it's good for our game because, you know, when Donovan Mitchell scores 71 points, everyone's talking about it, wondering what he'll do the next game. When Giannis goes for 55, we were laughing about it. We played a game uh, in Philadelphia on Wednesday and, uh, you know, we were laughing as we landed looking at some of the box scores that uh, we were joking. You know, Giannis had the 55 the game before that. And so we wanted to see what he had done in the next game. Yeah. And that was the game where they blew that 21-point lead with three minutes to go and still managed to win it overtime. And we were joking that he had a quadruple double because he had – I forgot the numbers. It was like 32 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists, and 12 <laughs> turnovers. Because <laughs> he's got the ball. The best players have the ball in their hands yeah. all the time, though. No kidding. You know, Mark, I wanted to share something with you because, you know, a, a lot of times when we, we talk about people, we talk about people to other people. And I wanted to share this with you because, you know, this is my fourth full-time year in the league. And and people who've known me a long time, they'll ask me, you know, who, who are your favorite broadcasters in the league? Who have you gotten to know? And I wanted to share with you that you've been doing this a long time and I've been listening to your calls for a very long time. Even when I was a Knicks fan growing up and I heard you, know, before calls, you go anywhere else, you need to stop. You make me feel like I'm 142 years no, old. No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, I mean that look, Kevin Calabro, who I get to see every night has been doing this a long time too. And he is, he's been around longer than I have, by the way. Yes, he has. He yes. Has. I, I mean that in a, a absolutely respectful way. You're as humble as it gets. You're as helpful as it gets. And even when I was the the rookie fill-in guy bouncing around, you know, you, you always treated me like I belonged, and I appreciate that. And I, I can't tell you how much respect I have for you. So I just wanted to, to tell you that I appreciate you as much as I do. Well, I appreciate that. I'll tell you a little story. I would like to think I would be doing this kind of thing anyway. I'm always open to helping young broadcasters listen to their tapes, give them advice. Mm-hmm. Uh and I, I, I like to think I would do this anyway, but I'll, I'll give you a, a little anecdote that really resonated with me. Uh, when I was a younger broadcaster, my first year in the NBA, I was the youngest guy in the league. I was, I think I was 27 or 28 years old. I knew of the NBA. Uh, I knew the basics of it. And I went to my first league meetings and two guys who I held in enormous regard came up to me and both offered unsolicited. They introduced themselves to me said, anything you need, if we can help you adjust to the league, just reach out. And one of them was Marv Albert, and the other one was Bob Ryan. Now, Bob, I think Bob still does a little bit here and there, but he's mostly retired, and Marv recently retired too. Those were two guys that were already enormously successful. They didn't have to come up to me, uh, but they did, and it made a strong impression with me. And I think if we're lucky enough, Travis, to have one of these jobs – particularly if we're lucky enough to hang on to it for a long time, then I, maybe obligation is too strong. I, I consider it, though, an obligation. You have an obligation to help those coming up behind you. You know, we are the way 
that our fans sample the product, whether it's on radio or television or podcasts or whatever. And so we need to make sure that the people coming behind us are able to share the story the way we have been able to share it, in part because people who came before us helped us learn how to share it. It's very important, I think, to share your craft and your ideas with others. Hmm. So while I appreciate your kind words, uh, I would like to say on the behalf of all of us, I'm not the only one that does that. There's a lot of guys that do that. Uh, and I, I think we all should uh, because, you know, uh, what is the what is the cliche? Pay it forward. We, we need to pay it forward. I've had this job. This is my 35th season. And when I first got this job, and I, I apologize for rambling here, but when I oh, first got do. this job, I was young and I had had other good opportunities. I'd done major college football and basketball. I'd worked in the NHL. I wasn't even 30. I was too young to appreciate how difficult it is to get these jobs, how rare it is, and how lucky you are. Now, as I got older and I started to see guys that I thought were just as talented as I was, never get a chance to do anything because of circumstance and they didn't get a break. Well, then I started to appreciate. I always appreciated the job and I always treated it respectfully in that I always wanted to work as hard as I could to put forth the best product. But it wasn't until later years that I started to really appreciate how fortunate I was. And we all are. You know, there's 30 of these jobs on radio. There's 30 of them on television, and that's it. You think there's only 60 guys qualified to do these jobs? No, 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 no. There's 6,000 guys qualified to do these jobs, at least on some level. And so to have one, you're so fortunate, and I just think that you really need to do what you can to make sure anyone who wants your help gets it. So I, I really do appreciate your kind words. They mean a lot to me. Well, you know, 25, 30 years from now, hopefully I'll still have this gig. And yes. I'm, I'm going to be telling the story of how Mark Boyle was one of the, the generous few who, who helped me when I was first starting out. Mark, I, I appreciate your time as always. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you at the game. Oh, it's my pleasure. I always look forward to seeing your team. I love Kevin. Brooke used to be with us. And so we're good yep. friends. Uh, and your team's always fun to watch with Lillard and before that when CJ was there and um, plus, we never get to see the Western teams. It's amazing to me, Travis. Uh, <laughs> we, we see some of the Eastern teams three times and some of them four times, just like you see the right. Westerns. And so you only see the Eastern guys once or twice more a year than the West. But it's amazing how that seems like a lot. Uh, most of the broadcasters I'm close with are in the East because I see them more often. Yeah. But what really, four times a year versus two, you'd think that wouldn't matter, but it does. And so I love seeing the Western teams. Um, you know, until recently, the West was dominant, and it's still very good, but the East, I think, has made some inroads in recent seasons. Sure. And so back in the day, it was like we were the junior varsity. Oh, here comes the varsity coming to play. That's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, and the, the Blazers have, have always been uh, you know, a model franchise. They've had their downtimes like we did with our team uh, back in the mid-O's where our guys were running afoul of common decency, and we got that corrected. And I remember you had the Jail Blazers back before your time. But by and large, both of our franchises have represented themselves and our ownerships in our cities in a first-class manner. Uh, and it's so fun to go out to Portland because, you know, you're the only game in town out there. Yes. Uh, and you are so popular and so appreciated. Uh, you know, if you get back to championship status again uh, – well, you'd be lucky to get in that building because there's going to be a waiting line. There's already a waiting line of people to get in your building. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a great NBA fingers. city. I've always thought your fans were among the best. Yeah, you, you speak truths and, and cross your fingers that we have that problem someday sooner rather than later. 
How about a Pacers Blazers final? That would be good. We almost had one. We almost, almost had that one in 2000. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the Blazers let that game get away in the fourth quarter of game seven. Otherwise, it would have been Pacers Blazers that year. Yes, sir. Mark, thank you so much for the time. All right, Travis, anytime. Thank you. All right, there he is, Mark Boyle, the longtime voice of the Indiana Pacers. Big thanks to him for taking his time. I absolutely love the stories that he has to tell. Friday night, Blazers and the Pacers. Three o'clock pregame show. Mike Lynch will have it for you across the Trailblazers radio network and our flagship station in the Portland area, 620 a.m. Rip City Radio. Then a four o'clock tip off. Michael Holton and I will have the call. And then on to Toronto before the Blazers come home for a nice long stretch. Thanks so much. We'll catch you next time on the Section 113 podcast.